One of the biggest ways that professionals and professional firms can improve their marketing effectiveness is to think through and make sure that they are actually putting their marketing efforts in places which yield the highest return. This is actually not commonly the case. Most firms say they believe that marketing to existing clients is the best source of new revenue, but when you add up all of the non-billable hours that are spent on marketing, you often get surprised that a very high majority of it is diverted to chasing new clients. In this clip, we examine all of the places that marketing efforts can go, and we make some very clear recommendations about where the priorities are. Most lawyers know that existing clients represent the best source of new business, but they actually spend most of their time chasing new clients. Let me just see if that's true in the room. You're allowed to please be honest. How many of you think it's actually true that as far as getting more work, where the happy hunting grounds is, that there is, you know, the existing clients represent the best source of new business? How many think that's true? That's, you know, 90% of the room. Let me ask the next question. How many, if I added up all the non-billable hours that were spent in your firm on any form of marketing, all the non-billable hours, how many of you would say the highest percentage is spent expanding existing relationships? About 10% of the room. Do, 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 do. You are really our brain dead idiots. You're seeing this? You've just voted in, you know, within 30 seconds. Now let's explore why. Let's explore why you are really stupid people. Okay, and I am too. We need to explain why adult intelligent people, because you're not really stupid people, it's like me, you do stupid things, right? You wake up in the morning and you'd like to have a fun career. You want to get rich, you want to get exciting transactions, you want to grow your business. Nothing wrong with that at all. But let me give you four places that you can put your time. You can either, as we've just said, give your time to an existing client, notice the non-billable time, do something to grow the relationship, or you can go chase a non-client, a prospect, somebody with whom you've not yet represented. Right, and that was what the question was about. Let me give you another alternative, which is you can give your time to somebody who's aware of a need versus somebody who's not aware of a need. And what I mean by that is that company or government sector, whoever it is you work for, most of you I think work mostly for corporations, but it might be government. The aware of a need means that company knows they, you know, they're exposed, they've got to do something, right? They know there is in fact a toxic waste dump, you know, just around the back of the factory. <laughs> they may or may not have told us, but they are aware of the need. Versus the opposite, which is they don't even know that the regulations or the laws have changed, and they don't even know, you know that they are now have suffer more exposure than before. That's the choice. So now, again, put audience interaction here. Leaving aside morality, leaving aside inspirational, just do sheer business logic. In which of those four places would you get the highest return on investment for your first non-billable marketing hour? Anyone got a, yeah, willing to play the game with me? Thank you. In other words, if you can convince an existing client that he so or she so much likes you that the minute they become aware of a need, you get the next job automatically. Right? And let me tell you, I'm going to be very obnoxious here because I am. I want to prove to you how pompous, condescending, and arrogant I truly am. 
I do no unpaid new client marketing. Zero. Because I'll tell you how I get new clients, and I get quite a few, is the phone rings and a stranger who I've never met says the following. The stranger says, my friend says you're obnoxious. My friend says you're obscenely priced. My friend says you're worth it. When can you come? And forgive me for the pomposity, but you get the point, right? Which is, if you can do your marketing that way, call me an idiot, but I kind of like that kind of marketing. It has an appeal to it. And I'm not joking, I've never been in a pitch in my life, never intend to, never done a beauty parade. And it's not because I'm shy or, <laughs> I'm not shy. It's just I think I know how to get rich faster than doing stupid stuff like that. And the way you get rich is make sure your existing clients love the experience so much they tell their friends that you, you get your new clients by them telling your friends. Are you with me? Box number one is the highest ROI. Let's ask the second question. See if you're with me. Where is the lowest return on investment thing you can do in business development in a law firm? Bottom right, yeah? Walk into the average law firm anywhere in the world and say, tell me about your business development program and what do you idiots tell me about? Efforts to go out into the community, establish contact with people we have no relationship with, who as far as we know are not aware of a need, and sell those suckers something. I mean, how stupid can you be to rush to do the things that work least well? And I hope you're hearing me loud and clear. I'm not saying they never work. Everything works at some level. I'm saying it is the height of stupidity to do the low probability things if you're not first doing the high probability things. I am saying that box four is the act of a desperate man or a desperate woman who doesn't understand how the world works. If you have to go to box four, you really don't get it. And again, you can make it work. You try hard enough, you can stay dialing for dollars, you know, doing cold calls. You want to be an idiot, go do it. You'll make it work. You'll, you know, you'll, you'll feed your family. It's just stupid. Right? It's what you do when the real stuff fails. So if that's box one, let me give you box two. And again, a little bit more of opinion, but I'm here to give opinions, you decide. I believe this is two in terms of return on investment, and this is box three. Okay? So I hope I'm answering, first of all, before I go on, the question that was posed, how do you begin new relationships? The answer is, don't worry about new people. Spend the overwhelming majority of your non-billable time making sure your existing clients rave about you. That's the best, highest ROI way of getting new clients. I promise you, general counsel talk to each other. In fact, let me give you that as a proposition. Again, think of your buying behavior. And again, you, you may disagree with the conclusion, but let me take you through the thought process. If you've got a new need of something you need to hire, IT, you know, accounting, management, consulting, medical, and you've never been through this before, right? So you're a prospect, you're a new client. As the buyer in that situation, what's the very first thing that you do in your buying process? Call a friend. Isn't that fair? Now again, please allow me to be silly in my presentational style. 
That's 90% of all the marketing you will ever need to know. If the first thing every new client does is talk to their friends, you win it or lose it there. Anything that happens after that just proves you're an idiot. It just proves that you failed the first most important test. If you're still doing beauty parades, it proves you're not as good as you think you are, no matter what you claim, because I promise you, I promise you in my bones, general counsel has checked you out before you walked in the door. And the first question is, what's the word of mouth on you? And it's not about the beauty of your PowerPoint presentation or whether you can fake knowing anything about their industry or claiming what a fabulous lawyer you are or even, even your win-loss record. The question is when they check you out, and they do, because the first step is ask your friends, who have you used and would you recommend them? Right? That's the way you get new clients. And again, if we need to go on on why you don't do it, because that's what we're going to explain in a minute. And box three is the pitch, right? It's a non-client. The good news here is very attractive because there is going to be a deal. There's a case, right? So the non-client cash is going to change hands. You can smell it, right? And you live in la-la land. It could be us. So you spend huge resources with your marketing director saying somebody's going to get hired, why not us? Let's go pretend to be interested in interested research it. Let's put a PowerPoint pack together. And all I'm trying to make the proposition, please think about this and make your decision, is the, in that situation, a non-client is probably talking to more than just you. So it is by definition competitive. It is therefore by definition more fee sensitive. Not you know, completely, but it is going to be more fee sensitive if they are a non-client and they're talking to other people. And they will hire someone, but the odds go down. Hence, all I'm saying is, if you want to get a good return on your time, box two is better. And let me give you a real-world example. I can't name names in this public forum. But I'll tell you about a major corporation that I was working for and a partner in a you know, brand-name firm. And I'll tell you how she did this. It was brilliant. I was a you know, big firm, general counsel. And this firm happened to have a lot of in-house lawyers because it was huge and you know, big manufacturing, so it was you know, in-house lawyers and across the country. And this woman was a partner in a brand name firm, and at the time she sort of was in charge with the relationship, this firm was getting like about 3 to 4% of the total legal expenditures of this major manufacturer, Fortune 100. What she did is she went to the general counsel and she said, um, do you hold internal meetings of your internal legal department. And general counsel said, yeah, we get together once a month, you know, to talk about what's happening and how the progress of cases and what are the issues going on here, so we share. And she said, well, look, I don't want to push myself forward if you don't, you know, if you think this is inappropriate. Forgive me for this offer if it's not appropriate. But if you care to accept this offer, I would be happy to attend all of your internal meetings, to sit at the back of the room, free of charge. I'll even pay my own travel expenses. You know, she lived in a different city than the headquarters of this place. She said, I won't speak unless I'm spoken to. I'm just making you an offer, if you care to accept it, that if you would like me to be there as a resource to you during your meetings, right, I'll be happy there to answer questions and research things for you if they come or if I don't know. Now, deadly seriously, help me out with real world here. How many of you think that, on balance, most clients would accept that offer? Okay, a little bit of you know, debate. 
again, I can't talk to your real world. I'm not even going to pretend. All I hope I can be clear on is that even if they decline it, it's an offer worth making every week of the year. Are you with me? But as long as you've phrased it appropriate to the culture you live in, saying, I'm willing to work on this relationship, I'm willing to invest in it. If you'd like to accept the offer, fine. If not, then just forgive me. You with me? You've got nothing to lose. Now let me tell you what happened. Within the period that I was working for this Fortune 100 company, she took the percentage of the legal expenditure, and it was defense work, from about four or five percent of their legal expenditure to 55 percent. This firm, one of, you, one of the you know, nation's you know, national firms now, is getting 55 percent of all their legal expenditures. And notice what she's doing. Let's do the mathematics on the investment. Once a month, she flies from her city to their city, attends a half-day meeting, so she basically loses a day, right? A day a month. Call it a 10-hour day total. So in a year, she's investing 120 non-billable hours. What do you think the ROI is to invest a total of 120 non-billable hours? To be sitting in the room when every single case that that client is thinking about tackling, you know about before anybody else in the world. And that every time you're sitting in the meeting and they turn around and say, well, what's your position or what do you know about this topic? And you get one of two responses. You either know something, in which case, without hesitation, you say, let me give you, without fee, without anything, let me earn your trust and confidence. Here's what I've learned. I've seen cases like this. Here are the options. Right, you with me? You earn relationships by giving. Or, back to the integrity point, if you actually, if it's outside your area, the rule is never fake it, never exaggerate, never misrepresent. You say, I don't know the answer to that question, but I've got a partner in Podunk, Missouri. And she happens to be a specialist in this, and I'll get you an answer in the method that you prefer, beloved client. If you'd like me to you know, get, have her call you, I will. If you'd like me to have her write you a memo, or if you'd like not to have her involved, you know, I'll get the answer from you and I'll call you tomorrow. Tell you how you want me to respond. I will get you the answer within 24 hours. I hope I'm making practical, pragmatic business sense that there is nothing else in business development you can do that's going to get you rich. Now let's talk for just a few seconds of why we do it. Well, I'll give you a few theories which I've observed, and then I'll ask for your you know, additional ones if you've got them. The first is natural macho or macho behavior, which as I'm told it's true of you know, both genders or all genders, depending on how many there are. That it is always more fun and thrilling to give love and attention to the person you're trying to seduce than the one you're already married to. Right? They may not be healthy for you, but there's always the thrill of the chase. So in other words, we dash towards box four and we way over-invest because box four represents getting somebody new another notch on the belt or the bedpost. The second reason is the way we run our law firms. You bring in a new client, bells and whistles go off. Your name in the firm newsletter, promises of more compensation. Not actually more compensation, but promises thereof. And seriously, most of you have such stupid law firm management, if you bring in the same amount of incremental additional revenue from an existing client, the reaction is still positive, but nowhere commensurate. Is that fair? The way we run our law firms is where there is an incentive to do what doesn't work as well. You really are stupid people. 
and we have less of an incentive to do what works. Right? Why you do that is still a mystery to me. I'll give you a third reason. A third reason why people overinvest in box four and underinvest in box one, and it's what we've been discussing all morning, and that is very simply that if you're chasing a new client, you can remain relatively impersonal. It's write the proposal, research the industry, make boasts about your capabilities. If you're going to grow a relationship, just like that woman I was describing, it is by definition personal. Marketing to existing clients, growing existing relationships, means you actually do have to be interested. And lots of lawyers, especially defense litigators, just don't want to get that interested. So they rush to box four because it's an easier kind of marketing than they personally want to get involved in. Now again, I'm sorry I'm being challenging, but this is important stuff. I really believe that most of you are wasting your life. You will get more out of life if you really thought through not only how to get better at marketing, but who you're trying to market to. You put together the two things we just talked about. You're trying to market in low probability places for people you actually have no special interest in. If that's not a discussion of marketing tactics, that's like, you know, the drunk looking underneath the lamppost for something he dropped 100 yards away because that's where the light is. Right? You've got to put your marketing in the places where it's likely to work. The action recommendation from this clip should be obvious. What you need to do is go away and figure out exactly how many of the non-billable hours that you expend in any form of business development, marketing, or client service is going into each of the four boxes that we described in the video. You then need to come to your conclusion about what do you think is the right balanced package, the right set of ROI activities that would make for a complete package. Then you must be very honest with yourself and say, do I really think that I am placing my marketing time in the most appropriate places? And you may find that you need to rebalance where your effort is going.